This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. On today's episode, I have a very special, important guest who's going to talk to us today about improvisation, which of course is a subject we talk a lot about on the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. But one of my favorite things about this guest is that he is not a jazz musician and you're going to figure out pretty soon when you listen to this interview how this other perspective of improvisation is both familiar but different in a way that's going to really help us out to wrap our brains around things. And especially we're going to be talking about the idea of improvisation as a musical playground and exactly what that means. So let's do this thing. Let's jump into this episode. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast. My name is Brent, and I am the jazz musician behind Learn Jazz Standards, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. And like I said, I am pumped to have on a great guest today, uh, someone who is a friend and, and someone who I really respect as a music educator, and that is Christopher Sutton. Christopher Sutton from musical-u.com. He has a, a company called musicalu.com, which is uh, really a, a, a website that helps folks develop their inner musicality, these general uh, musicality skills, which he's going to talk a little bit at the beginning in, in the interview in just one second, uh, but really a fantastic guy. And he's going to be talking to us today about improvisation, how they think about improvisation over there at Musical U, uh, and especially this idea of improvisation in the context of what he calls a playground, which he's going to explain exactly what that means in one second. So really excited to have him on the show. Definitely check him out at Musical u.com. He also has a great podcast called The Musicality Podcast, which I would highly recommend. He, re he interviews a lot of different uh, musicians, including myself. I'm a guest on that show every once in a while, uh, too. So check him out there. So make sure you're subscribed to the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast. If you aren't ready, make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes wherever you listen. Uh, we have a lot of great shows coming up, including uh, you know shows like this and many other guests so make sure you're locked in with this. All right, without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Christopher Sutton. All right, I am excited to have back on the show the founder and director of Musical U, Christopher Sutton. Thanks for being back on, Christopher. My pleasure, Brent. Great to be here. I uh, just loved our talk last time uh, about, uh, you know, making goals uh, for our, our musicality, for our musicianship, and you just had so much value. Uh, and, you know, we hang out, we talk a little bit. Uh, I've, I've just gotten to know you as, as a music educator. I'm just really, uh, I, just, I just really respect everything you do. So I'm really just happy to have you back on to, 
Just share as much as you can to my audience. I know they're excited to hear from you as much as I am. Uh, so for those who don't know who you are, why don't you just give a little general introduction about who you are and, and what you do? Sure. So I am a 30-something married dad of two. <laughs> I have two little girls, age one and three, and we're living in Valencia in Spain, where it's nice and sunny, even though it's February. And I run Musical U, which grew out of a company called Easy Ear Training. So I spent several years really focused on ear training and developing things in that direction before founding Musical U in 2015 to be a kind of all-in-one musicality training solution, because we realized it was a bit broader than just ear training, even though that's still at the heart of what we do. And so I run the company now. We're a small team of five or six. And we help people through an online website develop the inner skills of music. Awesome. What does that mean, the inner skills of music? Yeah, I, I try and get away with saying that. And no one ever <laughs> no one asks like, what, what does that, that mean, Christopher? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, in a nutshell, it's a lot about ear training, but it's not just ear training. So what we find is a lot of people are very good on how to learn the instrument technique of music. So they're learning guitar or they're learning piano. They're getting good at where to put their fingers to play a certain piece from the sheet music or from the tab. But often what's missing is a sense of ownership or autonomy, or I, I think the correct term is agency in music, where you actually choose what you do at any given moment. And so a lot of people end up feeling kind of like music playing robots, where they're very good at replicating music they've carefully studied and prepared but they don't feel like they can improvise. They couldn't play by ear. If they heard a simple song on the radio, they wouldn't know how to sit down with their instrument and reproduce that. And often they feel limited creatively, so they couldn't create their own songs or pieces or collaborate easily with other musicians because they're always bound to what they've carefully prepared in advance. And so when we talk about the inner skills, it's everything from the very concrete, like can you recognize the notes in a melody by ear? to play them back on your instrument or write them down, through to the more intangible, like, do you know how to prepare for a performance so that when you get up on stage, you have some confidence and you know what you're doing and you can really perform in a musically expressive way. Right. And I love what you're saying because, you know, when I go to a great performance of, of any musician, um, you know, whether it be a singer-songwriter, whether it be uh, a jazz show, whether it be the New York Philharmonic, whatever it may be, there's something different about when you listen to those people and you could start going down to it and saying, well, maybe just they're just so technically proficient, right? They just know their instruments. So like, you know, they just, they can move their fingers anywhere. They can do anything. Uh, but that doesn't quite get to it, right? I mean, I, I think what you're talking about here is this almost uh, ability. You can't really, really put words to it. Um, but basically what you do is you try to get inside of that idea of inner musicality. What does that actually mean? And what skills do you actually need to get to that point where the transformation, the end goal is when, some, when you go out onto stage to, to play music for people, that people in the audience are sitting back and going, wow, there's something there that, you know, even if maybe I could play that, you know, I, I can't, right, I can't really emulate it, right? Because I, I can't play it like that. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a spirit there. There's something that's so ingrained in that person, that musicality you're talking about, that no amount of just, 
you know, knowing the right scales to play, being able to read the, the music on the sheet, you know, no amount of that can replace that feeling. And so I love what you do. Uh, I love uh, your description there of, of those inner skills. Um, this is, uh, I'm really, this is something I'm really happy to talk to you about because as jazz musicians, um, you're not a jazz musician. And I love that because jazz musicians are, are absolutely way too concerned about them and other jazz musicians and the way we do things and the way, and it's just a bunch of, uh, you know, it's, it's not helpful really. What we, what I think is going to be really great about today's talk is we're going to talk about improvising, right? But we're going to be talking about improvising from your perspective and the way that you guys do it at Musical U, which I think is a really refreshing, great approach to improvisation. And it's some of the things I know that we're going to talk about today. They're not exactly the terms, or they're not exactly the 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 things that we would think about as jazz musicians to do. And I love that we're going to get a different perspective of it today. So, but first, let's talk a little bit about maybe your personal background with improvising. Like, when was the first time that you started, you know, improvising, and in what situation and scenario did that take place? Sure. Yeah, and and I'll just say I, I confess to being a little bit nervous here as a non-jazz musician coming on to talk about improv. <laughs> I, it's a bit like you know trying to teach the Queen table matters, and I, <laughs> I love that. I'm glad we're starting out by acknowledging that I am not a jazz musician, and what you're going to be hearing from me today about improv is probably quite different from what you might have studied if you've been entrenched in the jazz world when it comes to improvising. So my personal background, I grew up playing a bunch of different instruments and was, was very much of the type I referred to earlier, where very focused on instrument technique, very focused on replicating repertoire note perfect. And so actually improvising was not a big part of how I learned music for the first ooh, even 20 years, maybe. And so I was, for example, learning electric guitar as a high school student. But improvising really just meant I had learned a pentatonic scale pattern and when we reached a certain part of the piece, I would noodle up and down that scale pattern. And I knew it would sound okay because I was sticking to the pentatonic scale. And that's all I really knew. And I maybe used a little bit of instinct to choose the rhythms I played, but there wasn't really much creativity to it. I certainly never felt like I was, you know, creating something when I improvised. And I guess in my 20s, the next kind of phase for me when it comes to improvising was that I was relearning piano. I'd studied a bit of piano at school, but I kind of came back to it in my 20s and from a very different angle. So instead of that note-by-note -note perspective, I did some training that was based on chord piano. So you learn the chord shapes and you're then free to kind of improvise your own arrangements in a very different way than sticking purely to the notation. And that was really interesting because it got me into this world of kind of new age piano improv where, you know, you're not trying to create something spectacular in terms of technique. You just sit down and you have a certain mood you're going for and you have some kind of knowledge like scale shapes or chord shapes or what functional harmony is. And you bring that little bit of knowledge and you just try and create the mood you're going for. And I loved that because for the first time I could sit down at the piano start from complete nothing and create something that I really enjoyed hearing. And so that was a big turning point for me in terms of feeling like I might actually be able to improvise. That was very cool. And then I think there was a bit of a lull. I, I moved abroad and lost my piano and I kind of forgot about improvising for a while until it came time to tackle it at Musical U. And I, I'll give a shout out early on to my colleague, Andrew Bishko, who's worked with me to develop a lot of our improv material 
at Musical U, and he really helped me to kind of codify our philosophy on improvising and a sort of framework you can approach it through, which captures that kind of just sit down and play something spirit. Yes. While also factoring in, you know, can you develop it to a level where the listener is also impressed with the flashy technique or the complexity or the sophistication of what you're improvising? Yes. Yes. Love this. Love this so much. So, yeah, a lot of my students uh, here uh, with Learn Jazz Standards, I, I hear we talk a lot about certain skills about for, for learning how to improvise, you know, chord tones, um, what notes are important in each chord that we need to be targeting, uh, a lot of different techniques that you can use to start getting your improvising together, even a little bit of chord scale theory, right? So there's all sorts of things that we can do. What I find is interesting is bridging that gap between the what and just the cre- the creativity side of it. So the actual technical side of it and the creativity side. I think that's, I love what you said when you're just saying, uh, you know, just the sit down and improvise uh, philosophy. Because uh, that's really what it is. It's, it's about sort of letting go of all the things that you're supposed to be thinking about and just creating music. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one for some people to to get. And I think that's in a, in a way hard for everybody. So for you guys at Musical U, it's interesting because I know that, you know, you guys aren't just one style of music, right? You're really teaching uh, you know, musical skills to everybody. You have a bunch of different instruments in there. So how, uh, how do you go about teaching that philosophy? What are some of the things that you do? Yeah, it's definitely a different kind of educational challenge to come up with improv-related material that works on, say, classical trumpet and rock guitar and jazz piano and it helps them all in a meaningful way. That was definitely an interesting one for us. And I think what we've come to and what I'll be sharing today is hopefully going to be useful for people because it is a very kind of ground-up approach. And can we talk a little bit about the kind of emotional, psychological aspect of it before we dig into the nitty gritty? Yes. Is that all right? Yes, absolutely. Do it. Let's do it. Okay. Because, you know, if there's one common factor across all musical U members, practically, whatever instrument, whatever style of music, however long they've been playing, when it comes to improvising, they're pretty nervous. <laughs> and I know with Learn Jazz Standards podcast, we have some in the crowd who are totally au fait with improv. They have no fears, no worries. But I suspect there may also be some hiding in there who are still feeling a bit nervous about oh, it. Oh, there are. There, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And particularly when you step outside that kind of jazz context we've been talking about where you have, say, a jazz standard with a certain form and you know the particular scales you can safely use over the chord changes. Once you're outside that world, it can be doubly intimidating because you don't have any kind of safety net or you don't have any kind of awareness of what's okay and what's not and so at musical you we knew we had to really start by just addressing that front on like improv is scary i'm just going to come out and say it. it is if you're coming from that world of play the sheet music it's a really scary thing to pick up your instrument and not know what you're going to play and hope it comes out sounding right doubly so obviously if you have an audience and so what we do is try to convey to people the improvisers mindset as we call it which is super simple. It's just the idea that mistakes are not bad. If you come from the sheet music world and you play the wrong pitch or you play it at the wrong time, you've made a mistake and you should feel a bit bad about yourself and you should probably spend a week really regretting your choices in life. That's the kind of mentality I think a lot of us come from. 
<laughs> the reality is, in music, any change can be interesting. And in particular, we often find the most interesting and powerful bits of pieces are where for a moment it sounds like something's gone wrong or something unexpected happens. You know, a lot of the power of music is in challenging the listener's expectations about what's coming next. And so what we try and get across is that even if you don't play the note you intended to, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the end of the performance. You know, there are umpteen different ways you can rescue a mistake or turn it into something that might even convince your audience you meant to do it. And once you make that change in psychology and you really get okay with the fact that a mistake is not a big problem, that's what really opens up a lot of freedom in improvising. That's easier said than done. I appreciate you can't just flick a switch and be like, ah, oh, mistakes are fine. I'm not going to worry yeah. anymore. And obviously we don't want to say that there's no value in perfecting your craft and aiming for excellence and trying to always play what you intend to play. But if you can kind of edge your way to that improviser's mindset, one great way is to just remove the audience from the equation. So whatever your musical life looks like, you might be up on stage improvising once a week at the local blues jam or something, but make sure you give yourself that time in total private when it's just you and your instrument. You're not quite alone because you're still gonna have that inner critic and voice of self-doubt going, oh, you made a mistake, you're terrible. But apart from that, it's just you. You can safely make mistakes and you can go into it knowing, okay, I'm gonna spend a while risking making mistakes and that's part of my learning process and we find that really helps people just acclimatize to that different context because yeah. improvising is a very different skill yeah yeah improvising is 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 really vulnerable uh you're really putting yourself out there it's sort of like in a way it's sort of like you know you're walking out there like naked for a second and it's like uh right you know but you you know, people have, you said it's easier said than done. People have written tons of books about this. Actually, one of my favorite books that I always talk about on this podcast is um, Mindset by Carol Dweck. I don't know if you've ever read that one mm. before. And she talks That's a lot it. about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And after you read that book, you you leave realizing that you have a fixed mindset about almost everything. And uh, you realize that if you could just simply apply that concept of a growth mindset, which means that you look at a mistake or you look at a setback or you look at the fact that maybe someone's a better musician than you from uh, this perspective of growth rather than saying, well, I'll never be that good or I screwed up and therefore I'm not going to do this ever again. You think of it more as uh, a positive thing like, oh, great. Okay, I messed up there, but now I know why I messed up and how I could fix that for next time. I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. And there is there is one other thing that we found can be helpful and that leads on to the kind of more nitty gritty of what we can talk about, which is to kind of recreate that safe zone. You know, I referred before to that jazz environment where you know the form, you know the changes, and you kind of know what notes are okay or which ones are going to sound terrible. And so our approach at Musical U is really around giving you what we call playgrounds, which are kind of a setup for improvising and for practicing improvising in particular, where you know you're not going to sound terrible. And that lets you freely experiment and it lets you risk making mistakes and it lets you enjoy because you know you'll be sounding at least okay. And by using different types of playground, you can gradually stretch both your improviser's mindset and your technical ability to improvise. So that's the kind of overall framework we give people for improvising. I love that. When, I'm, when you're saying playgrounds, I'm thinking of like... Uh... Like I'm thinking not like a, a regular playground. I'm thinking about like one of those like ridiculous ones where like there's a billion different tubes that you can go down and like special slides and, you know, 
I'm like that. That sounds like fun. It, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love. I love. Yeah, that, like a, that, 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 that visual. Playground. That visual there of uh, playgrounds. I love that. Well, I think when I first used it a few years ago in a blog post, I hadn't given it a lot of thought. I was just like, ah, you're playing around. It's a bit like a playground, and you might have different playgrounds. But we were recently putting together a video about this for Musical U, and I realized it's quite a accurate term because really what it's doing is giving you a whole bunch of different ways to play and experiment while always remaining safe you know that's kind of the point of a playground right yeah. the kid can go nuts they can go crazy they can try different things but they're not going to kill themselves and that's what makes it a playground yes and that's really what we're talking about here with improv yes awesome okay great so uh can you give an example of 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 a playground and how that works yeah, for sure. So I guess the first thing to explain is what is a playground? I've kind of explained what they're for and yes. how they help you. But in literal terms, what we mean by playground is a set of constraints you're going to follow when you improvise. And just to set the scene a little, in the world of learning to improvise, there are two really big approaches. One is about patterns and rules and knowing what you're allowed to play, essentially. Right. The other is in terms of licks and riffs and vocab and kind of memorizing little bits and pieces that you can then string together. And Brent, one of the things I love about Learn Jazz Standards is you have a very holistic view that lets people kind of mix and match bits of those and right. draw on jazz vocab while not being limited to it. And I wanted to say that just because when we talk about constraints here, it's very much just for the sake of the playground. So we don't want to lead people down a path that lets them, leads them basically to where I was as a guitar player, knowing my pentatonic scale and never being able to do anything else. We're talking about an approach that does lead to kind of total freedom and versatility, but for the sake of learning, we apply different constraints about what you're going to be allowed to do in a given situation. And that gives you this kind of safe zone. So we apply a set of constraints that say what we might play. And to get concrete, you might, for example, restrict the pitches you're going to play to just the notes of a certain scale. That would be one constraint or just a subset of that scale. Or you might restrict the rhythm. So you might say for this solo, I'm just going to play quarter notes and see what I can do with that. Or I'm just going to alternate beats and rests and see how interesting I can make it when that's my strict rhythmic structure. You might decide to take a lick or if you like and only use those pitches or just use that rhythm but whatever pitches you like. Or you might impose a certain form as your constraint. So you say, I'm going to improvise over uh, 12 bar blues, but I'm going to do call and response phrases every other measure. So these are all ideas of constraints you might apply that would start defining your playground. And that's okay. I mean, what I've described so far, you know, could be just a set of exercises for improvising. Well, can I, can I, can I interject really quickly on that yeah, though? Um, this is really important what you're talking about because uh, I think what happens with improvisation is there are so many possibilities. There are so many different things you can possibly do that when we have too many choices, we don't know what to pick, right? So sometimes taking things and boiling down, them down into smaller little piece, pieces like this, putting constraints on our improvisation can be some of the best things we can do. That way we're able to make actual choices. And th I, I actually think a lot about this. This applies to like the business world and marketing. If you give too, people too many choices of things to purchase, they don't know what to purchase because it's just too much. If you boil it down to here's a select things that 
will work for you, it's much easier to make a decision. And so the, this concept of constraints within music, I mean, you're just right on. But sorry, go, go ahead. Keep, keep moving forward. No, you're exactly right. And so that's one of what we see as the two big strengths of constraints. One is it avoids overwhelm. And, you know, that's where the intimidation often comes from with improvising. It's that, oh, I might make a mistake, but it's also I could play anything at any time. So what should I play? And when you have those constraints, it limits your choices and that actually lets you feel more creative. It lets you feel more confident making Absolutely. some choices. The second big strength is where it gets really interesting. And we call this the dimensions aspect of a playground, which is to say, anytime you apply a constraint, you've still got any number of dimensions of the music that you can explore. So, for example, if we just took one note, that note has a certain pitch, it has a certain duration. But it also has a volume, how loudly or softly you play it. It also might have articulation, depending on your instrument. You might tongue it or play legato. It might have a variation in pitch, like vibrato or a slide up to the note pitch. And you might have all kinds of different instrument techniques you can apply to create different timbres for that note. And of course, when we go beyond one note to a whole series of notes, there's all kinds of different ways we can play around with those. And so the point of the playground is we have a set of constraints but then we really proactively try and explore those different dimensions. So we don't just say, I'm going to obey these constraints. Did I do it? Yes or no. I'm going to say, these are my constraints. How interesting and varied can I make my playing while still staying inside this playground? Oh, I love that. And let me share one of our first exercises from Inside Musical U that uses this concept, because I think it's a good kind of learning one and this is something that anyone can try, whether you've never tried improv before, even if you've only been learning your instrument for a week, or if you've been steeped in jazz improvising for years, I think this might still be quite interesting for you. And it's going to illustrate what I've just kind of abstractly talked about. So this exercise is a three note playground. So we're going to take just the notes C, D and E. We're only going to use those notes for our improvising. And the first thing you're going to do is just take one note just the note C. You're only going to play the note C. And spend a minute or two really exploring how creative you can be without changing the note pitch. And when we're used to playing a whole series of pitches in improvising or in repertoire, that can be really weird to restrict yourself to just one pitch and still try and make it musical. But when you spend a minute or two really trying to explore those different dimensions we've talked about, the rhythm, the timing, the dynamics, the articulation, not worrying too much at the beginning about making it sound musical or impressing anyone, just really pushing your limits and seeing what can I do with this one note. And then from there, you can start challenging yourself to make it musical. Can I make something that sounds a bit like a melody, even though I've just got one note pitch? And what you realize is there's a vast range of possibilities, even in just one note. And when you then introduce a second note pitch, once you introduce that D note, that's a whole new world. You've, you've been exploring all of this different stuff with just that one note pitch, and now you have a second pitch to play with, and you can start exploring what's possible with that, and then eventually introduce that third one. And we're not worrying about recording a performance or impressing an audience. We're just really getting in touch with what's possible in terms of the dimensions and in terms of obeying those constraints. And what we find is this just dramatically changes people's perspective on improvising. It really strips it back to fundamentals. And it, like I said, it kind of gets you in touch with that instinct, that feeling that I know what's possible. I know what sounds good in music. 
it lets you find that connection on your instrument so that when the time does come to improvise, you really have a feel for what's possible. So everybody in the audience today, here's our big call to action that I want you to take. I want you to work on this exercise this week. I want you to do exactly what Christopher said. I want you to pick three notes, just three notes. Start with that first one. See how creative you can get just with one note, and then slowly introduce the other notes. I want to see how many different ways you can possibly come up with something interesting with just those three notes. So that's our big call to action today. Let's uh, go out and do that. Man, I think that's a... Wow. I like, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know what, Brent? You're going to do this this week because I, I think this is <laughs> a really refreshing uh, approach. So um, uh, that, that, that's great. Love, absolutely love that exercise. Uh, and also, you know, I'm just looking into it a little bit. And this is a great way if there's anyone who has mental barriers with improvising, just the psychological aspect of being, of worrying, of feeling like they have to impress, that they have to play in, in the jazz world, playing crazy bebop lines, playing fast, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, we can we don't have to worry about all that. We just need to create. We just need to take three notes and make something happen with it, and uh, just realize that you know it's our playground that we can play with. I love that the playground thing. I'm still I'm going to be stealing that from you, Christopher, for sure. <laughs> Please do. So I know that. Uh, so we talked a lot about you know this kind of stuff here. Uh, I know that at musical you. I mean, you mentioned before that originally your company was called Easy Ear Training. So obviously ear training is still a big part of what you do. So we know that having great ears is important to improvisation. I'm pretty sure there's no music educator that will tell you otherwise. So why don't you share your thoughts on that and, and how having uh, good ear training relates to improvising? Sure. So our ultimate goal when we're helping people learn to improvise at Musical U is to get them to the point where they can play whatever they want to meaning they can hear in their head a musical idea and bring it out on their instrument, either beforehand or while they're playing. They know exactly what's going to come out when they start playing notes. And that requires a couple of skills. And one of them is ear training. It's the ability to connect notes you hear and the sound of notes in a scale or in a chord with what your fingers need to do on your instrument to replicate that. And the other is your musical imagination what's sometimes called audiation, the ability to kind of um, visualize the sound of music, the equivalent of visualization, but for sound. And so when you can really vividly imagine something and you have the ear skills to transform what you hear into what you play, that gives you that improvisational freedom. And so for us, where this fits in with everything we've been talking about is you can have a great time learning to improvise with zero ear training. That's not an exaggeration. And I think probably some of our listeners can relate to that, particularly if they've come from that kind of scale-based approach or sticking strictly to vocab. They may not even have a very well-developed ear, but they've learned what works and what doesn't. You can go that route, but what we found is if you want that autonomy, you want that agency, you want to feel like you are playing what you mean to play, not just kind of playing it safe, you can add in the ear skills along the way and the better your ear gets, the more you practice audiation, the more empowered you are in whatever playground or whatever musical situation you're improvising in to really play what you mean to play. Yeah. So as far as ear training, we're talking about ear training. Is it more application-based ear, ear training? Is it more the fundamentals of ear training themselves? What kind of stuff are you teaching your students as far as that goes? 
Yeah, at Musical U, we focus a lot on the fundamentals, the kind of concrete skills like interval recognition, like sulfur for recognizing scale degrees, like recognizing chord progressions in terms of functional harmony, and even the more kind of application side of things like recognizing a key by ear if you're at a gig or a jam session. And what we try and do is teach both those kind of abstract concrete skills like can you recognize a perfect fifth when you hear one, but also put it in this context of playing by ear or transcription or improvisation so that you can draw on those concrete skills to actually do what you want to do in your musical life. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm right on board with you with teaching those ear training fundamentals. I think they're uh, I think they're really important. Um, actually, I really demonstrated that. I did this video recently called How to Learn Chord Progressions by Ear with No Sheet Music. That. Um, That's very cool. Yeah, thank you. And I, uh, even as I was teaching the video, even as as I was putting it together, I was realizing more and more that if someone's really trying to start from scratch, like they just don't even know how to hear a chord progression, how important being able to hear intervals, being able to recognize chord qualities really is to being able to hear chord progressions. And I go through a a step-by-step process through what I call a mystery chord progression, where I I walk through the process of, of doing it. And it's a little bit more advanced, some of the stuff there, uh, but it just sort of drove home. Well, if you know your intervals, though, and if you know you know how to hear chords, this stuff isn't advanced at all. Um, and you know, I'll link that up as well in the show notes today. Uh, you can also go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash chord progressions if you want to check out that video as well. Um, so yes, awesome. Love love that you're just teaching ear training in that way. Uh, that's so important. We're right on board with that. Let's uh, let's talk about. What are some pitfalls? What are some common mistakes you see with your students at Musical U when it comes to improvisation? What are some of those things that you're just like constantly seeing our roadblocks that you're because I know as music educators, I mean we're both we're both we, we were both in this thing. We know how this works. We're constantly looking at our students and going, okay, where are where are people getting stuck? Because obviously it's our job to try to figure out, you know, to recognize that and be like, oh, we need to figure out a solution. So what are those things for you? Well, there's two biggies, I think, one of which we, we think, we hope, we've kind of addressed with the playgrounds approach we've talked about, and the other of which is still kind of a sticking point. So the first one we touched on earlier, actually, is this question of overwhelm. So often with improvising, what trips people up is they go into it thinking either I'm going to just play the notes in the key or I'm just going to play the notes in the scale, and they don't realize that's actually still a huge range of possibilities. And that's exciting, that's great, and that's what you want to get to eventually. But when you're a beginner, that's super overwhelming. Like we talked about, it it leaves you open to feeling very vulnerable and feeling like you could trip over at any moment. And it can actually hamper your creativity compared with restricting those options like we've talked about in terms of constraints and giving yourself a simpler choice to make when it comes to choosing your notes. So that's the first one that we hope that idea of playgrounds and constraints and dimensions helps people get a handle on is just avoiding that overwhelm of, I could play anything at any moment, what should I play? The second thing, which I think is is always going to be a tricky one, is that when people are coming to improvising for the first time from that world of repertoire and sheet music and just playing the notes they're told to play, almost always they expect their improvising to be just as sophisticated 
And that's understandable, but it's actually nuts if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're embarking on this completely new skill and you're so used to playing really cool, complex, snazzy stuff. You kind of sit down to improvise and expect it to come out sounding of that level of complexity. And of course, that's crazy. We, we wouldn't expect that in any other domain to start a new skill and bring it immediately up to the standard you've learned in a different area. And so setting your expectations too high or being hard on yourself when you're improvising is simpler than your repertoire playing. That's really a big pitfall for people. And I think the, the most useful thing I could say on that front is to come back to what we were talking about earlier, where you were saying, Brent, you know, when you see an amazing performance, you point to it and you're like, it's not their instrument technique that's wowing me. Like there's something intrinsically musical and moving about the way they play it. We've, I, I'm digging into this more and more on our podcast because I think it's such an under-discussed area is how do you take that kind of note-perfect rendition and make it into something that really moves the audience. And a few of our guests lately have been fantastic on this. I had Noah Kagayama from The Bulletproof Musician. Yeah, Josh Wright uh, has Josh Wright Piano on YouTube. And recently Evelyn Glennie, the world's first solo percussionist or I think solo female percussionist, all just had these amazing ways of thinking about how they transform a piece into something musical. And not a single one of them said, I try and play as many notes as possible as quickly as possible and get them exactly right. <laughs> you know, it was all more about the emotion and it was about what we've talked about earlier in terms of taking a single note and really seeing what's possible. And once you've really explored those dimensions, I think it empowers you to realize you don't need to play something super complex and it doesn't need to be as sophisticated in terms of notes per bar as your repertoire. You can take literally just a handful of notes, play just a handful of notes per measure and have it sound really compelling, really interesting and really different every time. And that I think is, is the solution to some extent to that question of expecting too much of yourself is to strip it back to basics and learn what really matters when you're coming to improvise. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of what you're talking about here is improvisation is, it's more than, in my opinion, 50% psychological. And that's the problems that you're seeing come up. That's the problems that I see come up uh, in myself and also with uh, other students. Well, Christopher, uh, the way I know that an episode has been good is if I am feeling by the end that I've personally uh, really benefited from myself, and I certainly have. So I want to thank you so much for just absolutely uh, just throwing gold on my audience today, just giving them all these, uh, these, these musical truth nuggets, as my friend Jeff Schneider would say, uh, who we had on the show last week. And uh, listen, I really appreciate you. You're doing some great things. Where can everybody find uh, what you're doing at Musical U? Well, thank you. You're, you're very kind to say all that. And I'm very relieved. Having, having said at the beginning, I was nervous to come on the jazz show and talk about improv. I'm relieved to, to hear it made some kind of sense. You can learn more about Musical U at musical-u. That's the letter U. Com. And we also have a podcast, which if you're a podcast listener, you might be interested in, which is at musicalitypodcast.com. Yes, love that podcast. Uh, Christopher does a great job over there. All right. Again, Christopher, thanks for being on the show. And well, you know, we're going to have you back on eventually. So we'll see you back then. I'd love that. Cheers, friend. All right, another great interview in the books for the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. Another big thanks to Christopher Sutton from Musical U just for laying down a lot of great information for us today. 
Uh, I hope you learned a lot. I know I learned a lot. So I think uh, it was, man, it was a great episode. So thanks again to Christopher. Make sure you check him out at musical-u, that's the letter u.com. And again, he has a podcast called the Musicality Podcast if you want to do some uh, more listening. All right. Hey, as I always ask, if you got some value out of this show, if you feel like, hey, I enjoyed this, I've been enjoying other episodes, please leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. Just you know, give it a nice word for it. Let other people know uh, that this is a podcast worth listening to. Really appreciate you taking the time to do that. I don't take it for granted, and I, uh, I read every single one, so I really appreciate it. All right, and we're going to be coming out with another episode, of course, next week. I'll see you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.